Well, again, I just say it's my honor to be here. My, that was a delicious lunch. So good. Now, I was standing between you and lunch, and now I'm standing between you and a nap. <laughs> That's even more difficult. <laughs> but I won't be very long. <clears throat> I've never been known to be a long-winded person, so that would be my dad. <laughs> he actually knows it, so you don't have to tell him. <laughs> it really is a, an honor to be here. Um, I love the spirit of this church. Of course, I've had the opportunity and privilege to be around your pastor before, and he's blessed our congregation and our church in our camp meeting, and so I already had a connection with them, but it's just amazing how God works, coming here and instantly feel a connection with all of you here today, and that's just, that's because we're all of the same family, we got the same father, and we got the same blood going through our veins, and thankful for that. <clears throat> I want to share something with you that I feel... Um, the Lord gave me this about 10 years ago, and it's something that's very near and dear to my heart, and um, so I want to share it with you here this, this uh, afternoon. E.M. <clears throat> Bounds said, how can a man with a lust for praise and promotion preach the gospel of him who made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a serpent of a servant. How can a man with a lust of praise and promotion preach the gospel of someone that came in the form of a servant? <clears throat> Matthew twenty three, eleven, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Mark nine thirty five says, He sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, if any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. So I want to talk about servant leadership. Business structure has transformed church structure. In a lot of churches, a corporate mentality has pervaded the true ecclesiastical structure of a church. Now aspiring young men and women attempt to climb the church ladder in the same way the ambitious attempt to climb the corporate ladder. Churches have replaced shepherds. No, that's not the case here. Churches have replaced shepherds with boards and committees who mete out decisions from a carnal perspective. Instead of a prayerful and conscientious decision-making man of God, com committees comprised of influential members have usurped the biblical plan for church governance. I heard someone say, we've increased the scaffolding, but decreased the essentiality of lively stones in the church of God. Leadership is not focusing 
nowadays on being called, but calling is imperative to ministry. Ministry and leadership in a church is not a mere vocation or activity one does, but there must be calling. There must be a burden. You know, I kind of snicker when I hear someone say, uh, I'm going to be a pastor um, or I'm going to be this because I don't think of ministry as a career. I think of it as a calling. And if you become a pastor, uh, that doesn't mean you can't aspire to be that type of thing, but but it's not just this vocation track we go down and then we're this. It's truly a calling. And that's the truth in every area of ministry. Within the opening salutation of the Apostle Paul's letters to the Romans and his first letter to the Corinthians, he wrote that those reading his writings, the church, were called to be saints. It is the will of God for those that are here today assembled to be saints first and foremost. Before anything else, you're a saint in the church. I heard just a few minutes ago, Brother Mayo, you share that testimony of what it was being submitted to your pastor and God opened the door for that property to sell and totally hinging on your submission. That's what I'm talking about today. It's the will of God for us to be saints. Selfish ambition and vying for position were largely absent from those who were truly used of God in the Bible. Moses said, I'm not eloquent. Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. Who, me? He was hiding behind the wine press. Saul hid from Samuel the people of Israel. Elijah said, I am a man of unclean lips. And Jeremiah said, I'm too young. Most Old Testament characters shrank back from self-promotion and the accolades of ministry. Selfish ambition and self-promotion have no place within the leadership structure of the church. Ambitious people are dangerous people. Self-promoting people are dangerous people because they will destroy the church to get what they want. Psalm 75 says, for promotion, or the Hebrew word literally means lifting up, cometh neither from the, west, the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. God weighs who deserves the promotion. He putteth down one and he setteth up another. So whether you sing all the lead parts in the choir or you preach all the youth services or, or not, that's really of least importance. What matters the most is that you are a useful vessel for the Lord's anointing. I want you to get this. This is one of the most important things I'm going to say today. The weight of lost souls is too heavy a burden to be misplaced upon the backs of the ambitious and contentious. The weight of lost souls is too heavy to be put on people that are all about them, all about promotion, all about themselves. 
May our motives and our desires be upright before the Lord. You know, I think about Simon the sorcerer in the book of Acts chapter 8. He discovered you cannot buy your way to Holy Ghost anointing and power. And you can never use this Holy Ghost, this power we have, for your own purposes. When Simon saw that through the laying on of hands, the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. You can't buy your way to an anointing. You can't jockey your way, position your way to a place of anointing, a place of, of influence, power in a church. It comes from calling and it comes from being willing to be humble and to be a servant. So, Mark chapter 10, verse 42. Jesus called them and he saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, to fully comprehend Jesus' words here in Mark chapter 10, we must look at what transpired before this passage. Mark chapter 8 begins with a man coming to Jesus, Jesus' disciples, and he wants them to cast out a spirit that is causing his son to be unable to speak. They cannot... Uh, cast the demon out and so Jesus performs the exorcism based upon that man's face uh, that man's faith and Jesus and his disciples continue on they're puzzled why they couldn't do it and they go toward Galilee and Jesus predicts his death in Mark chapter 9 then they came to Capernaum and when he was in the house he asked them what were you arguing about on the way but they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. Here, they just couldn't perform the miracle. And yet, on the way to Capernaum, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. He sat down and he called the twelve and he said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. And then we get to Mark chapter 10. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were afraid. And he took the twelve aside and again began to tell them that what was to happen to him. Saying, see we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him, flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise again. And the next verse, verse 35 of Mark 10, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it that you want me to do for you? And they said to him, 
grant us to sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your glory. Now, think about the whole sequence of events. They couldn't cast out the devil. Jesus does it. They're arguing about position. They keep going. Jesus tells them what's going to happen, how he's going to die. And then they come to this moment where they begin to ask for places of prominence. Now, Matthew's gospel adds a little more detail to the story. And not only did James and John get involved, but their mother got involved. Mama. Oh, thank God for mama. They always want the best for their kids. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, and kneeling down, she asked him for a favor. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But at that moment, they did not have any idea what Jesus was saying. They did not understand, they did not have the revelation that abasing oneself is absolutely, totally essential to ministry. Jesus said it, Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, shall be brought down, and he that humble himself or abase himself shall be exalted. They, had, they didn't have that revelation. They didn't understand that abasement, humility, being brought down was what would push them up. You know, Jesus went toe-to-toe with the ungodly spirit of those who acted superior or flaunted their spirituality. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. They sit in the place of judgment. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. Oh, brothers and sisters, hear me today. Let it never be said of leadership in a church that we preach something that we don't practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. So what was wrong with the religious class? Number one, judging others without judging themselves. Number two, Preaching what they didn't practice. Number three, burdening others without being bothered. Number four, doing everything for show. This is everything you don't want to do in leadership. Number five, wanting attention. Jesus said, listen to this. Jesus said this to his disciples. I don't even want you guys to be called rabbi. I don't want you to even be called teacher because you are brothers. In other words, you are equal. 
You are of the same spiritual family. Not one of you. Peter, you're not greater than John. John, you're not greater than James. You're of the same family. In verse 42 of Mark 10, But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon you. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you will be your minister, your diakonos. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant or doulos of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Those two words are really important. They're two Greek words. I'm not a Greek scholar. And don't worry, I'm not going to bore you to tears with it. But they're really important words. Diakonos is an attendant or a waiter, someone that maybe waits tables. But a doulos is a slave. It can be an involuntary or voluntary slave. Therefore, in a qualified sense of subjection or subservience, a bondman or servant. So what is Jesus saying? So shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, shall be your diakonos, shall be your attendant. And whosoever of you will be chiefest will be doulos, will be the slave of all. So the higher one climbs in ministry, the lower one goes in status. You know, I don't know, maybe we do, but I don't think I hear it very often where we say, I'm the servant of God. But a true servant leader is willing to be called a doulos. A slave for God. A true servant leader does not worry about who gets the credit. Who gets the attention. James, the brother of Jesus, the man who had every reason to feel self-important. The brother to the man who walked on the water, caused the storms to cease, opened deaf ears, raised dead people back to life, was his brother. Yet he begins his letter to the church as James the doulos, the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul also used this salutation in his writings in Romans 1. Paul, a doulos, a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Undoubtedly, the background for the concept of being the Lord's slave or servant is to be found in the Old Testament scriptures. For someone who was with Jewish, who was Jewish, this concept did not connote drudgery, but honor and privilege. It was used of national Israel at times, but was especially associated with Old Testament personalities, including such great men as Moses, David, Elijah. And all of these men were servants or slaves of the Lord. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. We're talking about servant leadership today. Made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant or a doulos, a slave, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So the more you are promoted in a worldly or man-made structure, the more you are demoted in true church leadership structure. It's not about title. It's not about rank. It's not about position. It's about service. Service must be our primary focus. We are qualified through service. So I want to share with you today some qualities of servant leadership. I'm a lot closer to being done than you think. Skip Pritchard shares some of these qualities. Number one, value others' opinion. Talking about servant leadership. Value others' opinions. A servant leader values everyone's contributions and regularly seeks out opinions. We must remember we're not all experts in every field. We all have our giftings. We all have our abilities and talents. But we need one another. We need the church. We need others on the team. Number two, cultivates a culture of trust. Discourages gossip and divisive competition. Hey, we're not in a race with one another. We're not in a competition. We shouldn't keep track of how many times we're used on the platform as opposed to the other person that's used on the platform. We shouldn't keep a tally sheet of when we're asked by a pastor to lead something and when they're asked. If we're really a servant leader, We cultivate a culture of trust where we love one another. Jesus said, you are all brothers. At the end of the day, we're all on the same level. God elevates the pastor of a church to a a position of authority. But in the eyes of God, all of us are his children and we're all his servants. Number three... A servant leader develops other leaders. You know, this is something I see as a cancer in, in Pentecost. And it's, we think that we have to do our little thing and nobody can get our spot. And nobody can do it like we do it. You know, I've seen people, you know, you guys are from the Northwest, so maybe it's different. But, you know, where we are, somebody makes a mean coconut cream pie and they wouldn't share the recipe (laughs) to save their life they don't want anybody else getting their credit and yet that spirit pervades the church and we're so afraid of someone getting our spot we wouldn't share with them how we do it or what we do or or the way we do it because we don't want anybody to get in our position but I'm going to tell you servant leaders are about training others They're about imparting what we know for others. 
Let me tell you something. The replication factor is so important. It means, means teaching others to lead, providing opportunities for growth and demonstration by example. That means the leader is not always leading, but instead giving up power and deputizing others to lead. Training others for positions. You know, I'll just give you two instances. Um, our guitar player, his name is Colton Duty. I guess he's Brother Mayo, one of the best. Yeah, he's amazing. He's a great guitar player. Well, let me tell you, he was telling me, this has been a couple of years ago, but he started teaching another young man in our church how to play the guitar. And he had obvious nat natural giftings. And he told me a while back, he said, you know what? I've run out of stuff to teach you. He already knows it all. And he said, um, you know, he, he's, he's ever been as good as I am. Do you realize what kind of maturity it takes for a guy to train someone else to take his place on the platform? I think about my assistant. His name is Austin Keith. You won't find a, a better person. Um, he is gifted in a lot of areas, but he's a great drummer. Um, he's been our church drummer. And he has taught his brother how to play. And his brother, I think, well, I don't think this is being recorded, but his brother's probably better than he is now. He taught his other brother, he's our, he does all our video and all of that stuff. And he's taught his other brother how to do that. And it's like he's running out of, I mean, he's taking that job. He's literally training someone else for all these positions. And I would just tell us today that if we're servant leaders, we're going to develop other people. We're not going to hold on to something and say, well, you know, this is my position. This is what I am. And one day you'll get there if you figure it out. But you can figure it out for yourself. Hey, we ought to be the church of example. We ought to show how we do things. Explain how we do it. Want other people to learn. Is that okay? I mean, my dad worked himself out of a job. <laughs> and your pastor sounds like he's wanting to do that too. <laughs> Qualities of a servant leader encourages. The hallmark of a servant leader is encouragement. A true servant leader says, let's do it together, not you go do it. Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. When you have a servant leadership mentality, you're an encourager. You're not a critic. Yeah, there's times that we have to assess things critically. But our nature shouldn't be critic. Our nature should be encourager. Number five, thinks you, not me. There's a selfless quality about a servant leader. Someone who is thinking only, how does this benefit me, is disqualified. There are dangerous people when they only think about themselves. They'll destroy a church. They'll destroy a program. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Romans 
I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one above or before another, doing nothing by partiality. And number six, servant leader acts with humility. I started out talking about the Joseph difference today and talked about humility. And I think this final characteristic of a servant leader acts with humility. The leader doesn't wear a title as a way to show who's in charge. He doesn't think he's better than everyone else and acts in a way to care for others. Setting an example of service and the servant leader understands that it is not about the leader but about others. It's not about the title on your desk or the badge you wear. Think about it. The Son of God was veiled in human flesh to become the Son of Man. The Son of God became veiled in flesh as the Son of Man. What greater act of humility than God becoming like us to save us? That's the example we have, brothers and sisters. We have the example of God robing himself in flesh, taking on the sins of the world for their salvation and our salvation. So Christ's example must be our example. The hallmark of Jesus' ministry is the posture of a servant. I came to serve, Matthew 28, Mark 10, 45. I am among you as one who serves, Luke 22. Paul said, even Christ did not please himself. Jesus made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a slave, Philippians 2, 7. And in those final moments of Jesus' life, right before the climactic end, what do we see Jesus doing? Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that this hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them until the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments. He took off his his coat, what he was, and he took on the form of a servant. came here today prepared, believe it or not. He took off his outer garments. If you know anything about the cultures of Middle East, you know that that outer garment was how everyone knew them. That was the rank. That was how you knew who was religious, who was poor, who was sick, who was in authority. He took out off his, his garments and he took a towel or an apron and he girded himself. And after that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith 
he was girded. What could a church do if every person took off their rank, took off their position, and instead put on an apron? What would happen in this church if everyone's mindset shifted to I am a servant? Everything I do, if it's on the platform, I'm here to serve. If it's at the door, I'm here to serve. If it's in the Sunday school room, I'm here to serve. The cafe, the media, every position, if our mindset would so shift that we say, no, I'm here to be a servant. I'm here to care for people. I'm here to love people. It's not about my place. It's not about my position. It's not about my name or my family. It's truly about working for God. Now think about it with me for a minute. What does an apron signify? Well, an apron's purpose, of course, is to protect one's clothes from soiling. It has a greater significance. When you see someone with an apron on, you immediately recognize them as someone who serves. You see, when you have an apron on, it's hard to see what the latest and the greatest fashion clothes, names and labels, all of that goes away. When one wears an apron, the prestige, the rank, the order, all of that doesn't matter. What we need in the church is we need more people wearing aprons. This should be our uniform. When you see a police officer, how do you know they're a police officer? By their uniform. By their uniform. When you see a leader in the church with an apron on, what does that signify? I am here to serve your needs. I am here to serve you. Brothers and sisters, this is the culture that the church should be. If there's anything that I leave with you today, this right here, this should be our culture. I am here to serve. I am here to work for God. It's not about who I am. It's not about my name. It's not about my title. It's about what can I do to help others. Servant leadership. So today, now I tried to get, I had an uh, uh, idea at the last minute. I was going to have your logo embroidered on all of these, but we have some ladies in the church that own machines and they do that. They couldn't make it happen fast enough. But I tell you what, if, if, if you have someone that does that, I'll pay to have it put on all these aprons. But I'd like to give each of you today an apron. I want to remind you when, you, when you look at this, this, you're going to have to help me out, man. This is, this is the hallmark. This is what we should be known as. Serving the church. Serving people. So, you can just pass those out here today.
got one of them done. I didn't realize that. We'll give this one to the pastor. We got a second one. We'll give this to the pastor's wife. If we don't have enough, I can always order more. I brought 120. I shared this with our congregation a few years ago, and after that, I didn't even ask them to do it, but after that, they, they bought aprons, and they had our church logo put on them, and if you've come to our church or come to a dinner or whatever, they all wear these aprons, and this has been adopted in our church culture, who we are, and I'm telling you today, I feel it in the Holy Ghost to tell you that this right here, just humbling yourselves and realizing who you are, what you are, that you're a servant, you're a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, it will revolutionize the way you do everything. It'll ne it won't be about my rank and my position and, and my place and all that, but you start realizing I'm nobody. My flesh, there's no good thing. Only by the grace and the mercy of God. Why don't we stand together and lift our hands and thank the Lord for his word today. Come on, in the name of Jesus, God, we love you. Lord, let me be more like you. Let me be your, your servant today, God. Give me a heart of a servant, Lord. Thank you for this church. Thank you, Lord, for the ministry. Thank you for all those that are here today, God. I pray you would speak to them and touch them. Oh, in the name of Jesus, we pray today. Lord, let us be more like you. Let us take on that posture of a servant. God, you showed us by example. We want to be more like you. Everything we do, everything we do, God. We love you, God. We thank you for your goodness. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, God. 
Aleluya, aleluya, aleluya. Aleluya. I know our flesh doesn't like this. Our flesh doesn't like it. It wants to be puffed up and arrogant. It wants to protect our territory, defend our territory. But I'm going to tell you what. The church is only going to grow, only going to get better, only going to do more when we all start serving. We serve one another and we serve our lost and dying world. Thank God for the church. Thank God for people that are servants, that are happy servants. Happy. God bless you today. Uh, let's really praise God. There's a special anointing that's just moved in here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Tremendous. Now, after praising God, I think we need to thank Brother Holmes. I really do believe that what he has left us with today really is part of the element that's required to get to the next level. And it's just been incredible. I'm thankful for what I feel right now. Let's love him again. God has... God is sealing his approval upon this right now. Special presence and anointing here right now by the authority of the name of Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Incredible. I just feel like I could just find a little place to pray right now. Mm. Hallelujah. 
one of the things that I sincerely miss, my wife and I, we almost have to work at it now because we just, the church has gotten a lot bigger. There's a lot more responsibilities. There's a lot more stuff. I just love that contact with people now. I just love sitting across the table and giving a one-on-one -on -one Bible study. Just visiting with somebody, just talking with somebody, just... That's what this church started with. We started with my wife, myself, two little kids. and If I'm not careful, all I'll be doing is taking care of problems instead of dealing with people. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for being who you are. And you, this is a big part of what has made Cornerstone the success that it is. And I'm eternally grateful for each and every one of you. Brother Holmes, Sister Holmes, thank you for the sacrifice um, of being with us here this weekend. Now, Brother Holmes is going to be preaching tomorrow, and we are going to have a phenomenal time in the Holy Ghost. Yes. In fact, I feel kind of excited. We have a guest speaker, and I, I get to give three Bible studies tomorrow before church. I'm excited about that. And I'm not, I'm not saying, hey, look at me. I'm just saying I'm getting to do what I, what I want to do. And hopefully we're going to have three baptisms tomorrow, three more baptisms. This has been rich. It's been good. It dawned on me while Brother Holmes was ministering to us that we need, we need to do this a little more often. Um, we need to do this a little more often. It's just good. It's right. It's edifying. It's the perfecting of the saints. It's, it's wonderful wonderful. Thank you for coming, and I know that it really was. Brother Holmes, I appreciate the, the way that he came into this by recognizing the sacrifice, because some of you do work very hard during the week, and your weekends, especially your Saturdays, they are yours. So I, I also am greatly appreciative of you being a part of this today. Why don't you shake hands and be friendly and even make your way over and, and greet brother and sister Holmes.